happening, guys? Happy Friday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome, presented today by DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. Download the DraftKings app. Do it right now. Use the promo code CHAIL to get in on all the action. Guys, coming up on today's show, I want to talk more about UFC 273 and the fallout for guys like Volkanovski, Sterling, and the star of the night, Hazmet Chemayev. Chemayev versus Burns, what went wrong? I must tell you, I'm stealing that headline from the kids over the underground, so if you recognize this, yes, I admit it, but this was huge. Pages upon pages. Stays at the top of the page. This is the hottest topic over there. What went wrong? Guys, I have a problem with that premise. I don't think anything went wrong. I don't think these guys could have looked any better. Now, we do need to show respect to Gilbert Burns. This was the number two guy in the world. Gilbert Burns, arguably, is the closest to beating Kamara Usman we've ever seen. Arguably. It's down to Burns versus Colby. Right? I mean, Colby got 25 minutes with him, and it was a good hard fight. Okay, they, but he made him work. Can we agree to that? Burns' is very different. That whole fight was less than eight minutes, but Burns hurt Kamara at one point. Had him doing the, you know, the wobble legs and Usman had to, to, to regroup. And then, you know, Usman chose to stay on the feet. I mean, it's just this awesome battle where both of those guys look great. But if you did want to say who gave Kamara the hardest time, you would be down to two. Because of that moment that he had with Burns or the long drawn out evenings that he had with Colt. But there's not a third. There's not a fourth. This is how good Gilbert Burns is. Gilbert Burns is like Midas, guys. Everything he touches turns to gold. He touched the jujitsu world. He grabbed gold three times. He goes out to Abu Dhabi. He's on the metal stand. I mean, everything this guy does, he does very well. He finds a way. He's done this over two different weight classes. He got re-motivated. I hear he's in the gym and, you know, he's just one of those attitudes within the gym and he's always there and never mispracticed. You hear all these things around Gilbert Burns and I feel as though maybe that wasn't loud enough because Chemayev sucked all the air out of the room. It's very hard, guys, to have multiple stars at one time. Every time we will see the end of an era, people will talk to Dana as though Dana needs a pep talk. As though, hey man, we're still here for you. We realize that some hard times are ahead. I mean, I can just remember that. I was there when Tito and Randy left in the same month. Every single pay-per-view, of which there was six per year, rotated between Tito being the main event and Randy being the main event. And if Randy was the main event, then wait till the next one because Tito will be the main event. These were the guys. There wasn't a number three. There was not a number four. These guys called in sick. It is going to change our industry. But there was two guys. Two guys spread over six shows. That's kind of a lot. But you'll remember WWE days when you had The Rock and Stone Cold at the same time. It's rare. Two to three stars is all that you need and it's all that you get. And I don't want to be a condescending prick towards football and other sports. You guys know that I don't follow them, but I could not name three basketball players for you. I go with LeBron. There's a guy named Durant who I think is still playing. And I, I for sure could come up with a third one. Maybe my example wasn't absolute, but I would do the same thing with football. I could tell you about Tom Brady. I tell you about this quarterback that made news. He and Joe Rogan were teaming up and it had something to do with COVID. I don't even know if he played this year. I think his name's Rothsberger. I mean, it's tough. That's not me being a jerk. If you can get two to three stars in an interview, that's all you need. When Jordan was doing it, wasn't there wasn't other great players. So there was only so many people where they're going to put their, their money and time behind it. They wanted the absolute best guy. Nike did it with Jordan. It's just one of those things. You don't need five guys. You're never going to have 10. 
But the question always comes, how come there's so few at a time? And it's back to the Rock versus Austin. There was other guys that as soon as Rock and Austin stepped aside, it was those same guys. They have to go find somebody new. They have to go sign some new talent. They took the same guys that were already there, gave them the attention. Now they suck the air out of the room. Now they become the two biggest stars and everybody else is just waiting for their turn. I remember when Ronda Rousey was going to leave the sport, the way people talked to them, what are you going to do? You're losing your biggest star. What are you going to do? It was one of those things. But whoever was going to come next was already there. You get Connor, it's just this, a tremendous draw. But Connor all but has left the sport. I believe he's had two fights in five years. Am I close on that? Because he did the boxing thing. Didn't he come back and only fight Poirier twice? I don't think there was another one in there. Then you come back, I guess, the boxing. But Khabib was after that. I mean, what I'm trying to share for you is regardless of who's there and when they're there and regardless of what kind of a star they are, you can only have so many at a time. So Gilbert Burns, who has all of these wonderful stories you could talk about, Gilbert Burns has the same amount of straight-up badasses right out of Stanford MMA that are willing to put their name on him. Kamara Usman being one of them, just by example. Derek Brunson telling anybody that was willing to listen. Vincent Luque telling anybody that was paying attention just how good Gilbert Burns is, but that all got drowned out. Gilbert Burns being a three-time, three-time, three-time jiu-jitsu champion of the world, which you probably didn't know. Gilbert Burns being third in Abu Dhabi, which you probably didn't know. Gilbert Burns still being an active grappling competitor, which you probably didn't know. It's not because those stories aren't just as good as Chemayev's. It's just Chemayev's got told. Chemayev's stories just simply got told. So I don't know that anything went wrong. I thought Chemayev looked awesome. I, I resist this concept that Chemayev under-delivered. He was confronted with something that we didn't know he was going to be confronted with, which was a really hard match. He was confronted with an opponent who he could not just go tackle whenever he wanted. He could not just go hit this opponent and make him wilt. This opponent punched back. Chemaya was in a very difficult spot that most 24-year-olds with very limited experience He's only done this twice in the weight class. He's only, only done this four times in total. Oh, by the way, he hadn't been out there 15 minutes. Collectively. Somewhere along the way, he thought he was going to lose his life to the coronavirus. But there was so many things against Chemayev did awesome. I will not hear otherwise. And guys, what do you want? What do you want? The greats do something that had never been done before. That's true. George St. Pierre hit a double leg and he finished it different than anybody had ever done in the sport before or since. George St. Pierre would get in on a double leg. You're supposed to plant your feet and lift with your knees. He would extend it to his tiptoes. George would grab an opponent then basically do a calf raise. But those two inches that would take him off the ground while he's holding his opponent took his opponent off the ground. Very different. We've never seen it before. Khabib Nurmagomedov entangling legs on the ground has never been done before. Now we're seeing everybody trying to do it, and we're seeing that whole group of boys out of Dagestan, Khabib's guys, doing it. But we had never seen it before. We never saw somebody get a takedown and they do a body triangle, but on the legs only to distract you so that he could pound it. we just never seen it. The greats do something different. Muhammad Ali with his huge, incredible reach and a big mouth. Mike Tyson, very short to the ground, short arms, but absolute power. The greats always do something different. I get that Chemayev hasn't shown us that yet, what his thing is yet. But I would then challenge you back to tell me one thing that he did that a great doesn't do. 
He got met with adversity. He found himself in a fight, not a match of aggression. He's the number 11 ranked guy. You guys are the ones talking about the rankings. I, I don't. I think they're garbage. I don't think you should be able to go from number 11 to number 2 unless somebody in the ranking room didn't do their job. Chemayev's not any better today that he's going to be ranked number 2 than he was a week ago when you put him at 11. So you in the ranking rooms screwed up. But if you do take a number 11 guy and you put him with a number 2 guy, oh, by the way, it's 15-minute war and the number 11 guy wins, you pat him on the back. You tell him, good job. How is there a thread going on one of the leading sources for information and opinion within our industry acting as though Chemayev has explaining to do? What part of the fight if you're coaching him? If you know MMA and you're coaching Chemayev, what part of the fight does he need to improve? What part of that fight did you see that you're going to say, well, you can't go do that with Kamara. What was it? Were his hands in the wrong spot? Were his feet not moving? Did he not have head movement? Was he not transitioning from strikes to clinches back to strikes? Was he not active on the ground? Was he not posturing, pinning, and pounding? What was it that he did that if you're coaching him, you would tell him to do different? I think that that's where you run into the problem. Well, nothing. It just turned out Gilbert Burns fought back. Okay. That this is an entire session of praising Gilbert Burns. MRI. Much like Crypto.com. Exact same format. Turn it over to you guys. Who do you, the fan, you don't have to buy in. You don't have to get a ticket. This isn't a raffle. Who do you put your opinion on? which is purely blocked and monitored by one thing, which is known as an IP address, which means each person can only vote one time. Who do you think should win? The MRI community put a $40,000 bonus on Gilbert Burns. The Crypto.com community put a bonus on Yawn. Two guys that got beat. That has simply never been done before. I love that. Sometimes your greatest victories are going to come in defeat. I've never thought of the night should only exclusively go to anything, not the main card, not to the undercard, not just to the big star, not just the championship might, not just the men, not just the win. It should, it, it, but that includes the guy that got second. The guy that got second could put on one of his most valiant performances ever, and it's okay for us to recognize him for that. That's not a bad thing. But what went wrong with Chemayev, unless you can tell me, what did Chemayev do that you're seeing that you thought was a lack of experience or a lack of skill? What was it that you saw that could be exploited by an athlete, in this case, Kamara Usman, the champion? What is it that he needs to fix, that he needs to clean up, that he needs to change? And I don't think that you're going to have an answer to any of those things because he fought an awesome fight. Chemayev looked great. It just wasn't a battle of aggression. That's one way. Punches and the kicks going one way. We've seen plenty of people come in with a whole bunch of hype and they were so goddamn good. And then they're met with a little bit of adversity, which is known as a fight, where the punches and kicks are now coming back at you. And they've crumbled. Shemayev did not crumble at all. My favorite part about this whole fight was Dana before the fight goes on Pat McAfee. This is my favorite part. I loved this. Because the Chemayev experience is exclusive to one thing, which is get this guy in there and get him in there fast. Now, that was the accidental marketing campaign of a lifetime. I have personally never observed anything in this sport work better than that, and that was on accident. Chemayev comes out. Six days later, he's back on a scale. The seventh day, he's fighting again. Oh, by the way, in a different weight class. That was some Cowboy Cerrone stuff. Even Cowboy Cerrone had to look at that and go, wow, good turnaround. Different weight classes. Totally relevant to the story. 
I don't know who he fought. I watched those fights. I'm not trying to be a dick. It's just one of those things. You don't remember those kinds of things. We remember this about Chamaya because of the quick turnaround. So then we did it again and we did it again. And then we ran into the coronavirus. So I loved that Dana is putting that train back on the tracks, which is precisely what he did by booking Chamayev two days before the fight even happened. Of course, Dana was talking about the winner going on to fight Colby, but he even knew where it was going to be. He knows when it's going to be. He knows where it's going to be. He knows who it's going to be, be against. I love that that was done for Chamayev. But as we do get a little bit closer to that, perhaps now that we have evidence of how well Burns can do and how much we love that fight, and those two were not done, I had a coach that used to say this, and it wasn't just to make kids feel better. He would say, sometimes you don't lose, you just run out of time. That's what happened here. Neither one of those boys was done fighting. Neither one of them had nothing left in the tank. Neither one of them thought that anything was settled. I'm just saying I think that we might have to revisit where we go with Chemayev. I believe it should be back to Burns. I should believe it should be a feature match, and I believe we should see it for 25 minutes. We'll see if I get my way. My point is the same, which is nothing went wrong with Chemayev and Burns. You disrespected a three-time, three-time, three-time world champion who's third in Abu Dhabi, who gave Kamar Usman his hardest fight. That's what happened. We can't place the blame on Chemayev. This was our mistake. Let's just own the mistake. So sticking with Chemayev, I want to tackle a hot topic by talking about what could be in his future and to get some insight here. I decided to take to social media. All right, we took a poll. Just went onto the community section on YouTube, put up a poll. Do you want to see Covington versus Chemayev, right? This big ABC fight, going to be a main event, going to be five rounds. Is that what you want to see? Or with the information that you have now, would you like to see Chemayev versus Burns in a rematch? Which, of course, ABC features spot and five rounds. Twitter could not have been clear. You want the rematch. Could not have been clear. Three different publications picked this story, but God bless them all. They, they, they credit us over here at Bad Guy Inc. I appreciated that very much. But even an international one out of Canada credited us. Now, let me tell you where, I, where we're at with this with the boys. Both have accepted. And I'm talking about Chemayev and Burns. They both accepted. But hold on. Hold on. Not so fast. That was a Twitter poll. When I went onto YouTube, it was a landslide, 81% Colby. When I went into the comment section of Instagram, it was a landslide, 100 comments for wanted the rematch. You guys wanted Colby. Great. Looks like the direction we're going anyway. I love the parody. That's a fantastic, but they're both fantastic matches, right? You got offered two awesome matches. But you guys weren't split down the middle, even in hindsight of seeing what you saw, even disagreeing with the decision, even thinking that Gilbert should get X, Y, and Z. One reason that I was arguing in the first place for Gilbert versus Chemayev is so that Gilbert gets a bump. I do not remember Chandler losing to Gaethje, and I watched it. I forget, because both guys went up. And that is how history will reflect, because Chandler's drawn right into one of the biggest stars in the sport, which is Tony Ferguson. So he is getting a lift. Great. If we don't give a lift to Gilbert Burns, as a community, we have once again failed. We have failed him. 
Gilbert's only reward for doing things that nobody else is willing to do can't be that he gets asked continuously to do more things that nobody else wants to do. There has to be a reward. And if Chemayev is going to advance onto ABC, onto network television, in a main event with anybody, he's getting the appropriate bounce. He deserves that. But what are we going to do with Gilbert? It was just one of the reasons that I like the idea of a rematch. Now we are serving Gilbert. We all get what we want. Chemayev gets the bump he deserves, but so does Gilbert. They're going to go figure this out a second time. That that was one of my number one motives for arguing this. Not that I don't love the match of Colby versus uh, Chemayev, just for example. But I also thought I'd win you guys with that. I thought the human element, I thought you would be compelled to that and say, yes, I'm going to put my desire to see the fresh blood of Colby versus Chemayev on hold Instead, I'm going to put my wish and my desire into serving the athletes in question, in this case, Gilbert, who I don't want left behind. I just thought that human element would win you over, and I'm here to tell you it did not. You guys were a lot like me. You loved both ideas. You thought you had two really fun ideas. But you went 80-plus percent to Colby. So now let's talk about what the athletes are saying. Okay? Three different publications picked this up. Chemayev said in five rounds, I will take your soul. That was Chemayev's comment. It was extremely on brand. It was a very powerful statement. Gilbert Burns said, I did you a favor, young man. I'm ranked number two in the world. You're ranked number 11. I took a huge risk and I did you a favor. I want that favor returned. I want a rematch. But don't stop there. Because Gilbert then said, somewhere in the next three. Now, Gilbert's reason for not wanting an immediate... And this would have been very strong. If Gilbert would have dug in, this was a massive interview over in Canada. This was massive. This was televised. People saw this. If he would have dug in, he gets that one shot and either gets told yes or no, and then he moves on. Saying it needs to be somewhere in the next three was an interesting calculation, and Gilbert did explain the calculation, which was this. He believes that Chemayev can beat Kamar Usman. He also believes that Chemayev is soon going to get to fight Kamar Usman. Now, do not mishear me. Gilbert Burns did not predict or pick Chemayev over Usman. He just thought he could. Of all the guys that might be able to beat Kamar, I think that this might be the guy. So if I'm owed a favor, I would like that favor within the next three fights because within the next three fights, you'll be the champion of the world and now I can get what I want, which is my opportunity. So you see where Gilbert was coming from. It was very calculated. It was very smart. It was very well thought. I love a guy with a strategy. I was proud of Gilbert for having a strategy. I was proud of Gilbert for using the media cycle as opposed to burying his head in the sand. We've seen guys that do that. We call those guys something that that don't do anything for their own. We call them surreal gone. But then you have a guy like Gilbert who busted up, banged up, and heartbroken. Boom, he's back in front of you guys, and he's making his case. And his case is reasonable to me. He did do someone a favor. That's true. He would like that favor back. That's transactional. Everybody wants that. Mia Copa, right? No, that's not the word. At any rate, he wants to get this one back. And he, by the way, he thinks that he might be owed one by a guy who's eventually going to be a world champion. I've got no problem with the strategy, but I do think that that now lends to us closing the book on what's going to happen here. And we come back full force to Colby Covington. Getting Colby to the table is not as easy as you guys might think. The days of Colby being a competitor, anyone, anywhere, anytime, he lived that life for 20 years. He's now calculated there's things that he wants. Now, ABC, yes, he's going to want that. Main event, yeah, he's going to want that. All of the attention, all of the press tour of network television, yeah, he's going to want that. 
I just believe in my heart that Colby's going to need a promise on the back of it. I think Colby agrees to this contract and signs it today. I really do. If it's a number one contenders match. And that's a very hard thing to put a guy in a spot, right? Let's say that Colby doesn't get that guarantee. It's very hard to get those. Maybe even unlikely that he will. If Colby doesn't get that and then the media comes out and the organization, in this case the UFC, is publicly saying that if Chemayev wins, Chemayev will fight for the belt. That's a double sting. If you can't get that promise, this is not a number one contender's fight. You assume that's also good for the goose is good for the gander. That's what you assume. When you then see the media and know it has been declared for him only, you go, why am I here? Why am I here? I'm just, I'm just here for a really hard fight. I'm here to prove something. I'm here, right? Because there is that competitive side to it. I'm just sharing with you, Colby lived that life for, for over two decades. And I don't know without that guarantee. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not ready to tell you guys that you're going to see Chemaya versus Colby. I'm not. And I'm holding out on behalf of Colby, who I'm very good for. I could call him right. I just haven't. I'm just, I'm talking behind his back. I'm guessing. I know the way he works. I think there's going to have to be a little sugar on it, which, by the way, I think that it should be. Who's going to say that? You're going to put the number two ranked guy in the world against the number three ranked guy in the world? When the number one guy, Leon, is already fighting for the belt, there's nobody in front of you? That's a number one contenders match. For sure. Right? I don't know. I don't know. But I know my prediction. If it's not a number one contenders match, don't expect to see Colby. Now, coming up in a moment, I want to talk about Sterling and how we should feel about his win. But before we get there, a quick word about today's sponsor. The NBA playoffs mean next level basketball. Get ready for all the action by betting play-in tournament with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets instantly. You clinch a win no matter what. All DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet NBA hoops with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. Plus, for each day in the play-in, get a risk-free bet up to $10 if the same game parlay doesn't hit. Guys, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use the promo code CHAIL. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game during the play-in tournament and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code CHAIL at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Guys, it's starting to warm up now, and we've even hit the spring season. The last thing my wife and I want to do is spend time in a grocery store waiting in line just to come home and cook in the kitchen all night. We're going to start leaving our meals up to factor. Factor makes it easy for our family to eat clean 24-7 with fresh, never frozen, prepared meals that are so delicious you wouldn't believe they're actually good for you. Factor saves our family time by delivering chef-crafted meals right to my doorstep, eliminating the hassle of grocery shopping and meal prep, not to mention cleanup. Guys, there's no dishes, so there's no dishes to wash. 
each factor meal arrives, pre-prepared and ready to eat in two minutes. That's even faster than ordering in. Factor tackles the tough stuff so you don't have to. Their registered dietitians and expert chefs work hand in hand to create meals and nutritious ingredients. And with more than 29 meal options each week, you're never gonna get bored. Factor even knows our preferences. They offer vegan and vegetarian meals, keto meals, low calorie options, cold pressed juices, smoothies, energy bites, plant-based bars, extra protein, veggie sides, and more to keep me fueled and focused all day long. Guys, here's what you do. Head to go.factor75.com slash chael120. Use the promo code chael120. That's going to get you $120 off your order. That's code chael120 at go.factor75.com slash chael120 for $120 off your entire order. Aljamain Sterling just found out that he's the champion of the world. Now, and I really have to tell you guys that. There were so many things that were impressive against Aljo. However, none of them made me believe in him more than the humility he had before the fight. It's very hard to reach your goal and stay motivated. Les Gutches, world champion 1997, baddest dude I've ever met in my life, told me, the week after he won his world title was the most depressing week of his life. He didn't know what to do. Put everything into this one thing. Once he achieved it, he now no longer has a goal. He had never lived his life a single day without a goal, but he doesn't have a goal. He's already got it. Said it was very tough. I wanted to be able to relate to that. I wanted to know what Les meant, but he reached that level of success. But I remember when he told me, it was a powerful statement. It was an interesting statement, wasn't it? And we see musical chairs at the top of divisions more than we do anywhere in the sport. Anywhere else in the sport, you don't see the same levels of upset. You don't see the number one contender going down as often as you see a champion going down just by example. Why is that? Well, the basic and lazy argument is because within MMA, Bellator and the UFC, the best fight the best, nobody gets protected. That is for sure true. That is for sure a piece of it. I just think that there's more. And guys, I never even realized how quick belts were going around until Stipe Miocic set an industry-wide record with two title defenses. I remember hearing that go, well, that's a record? Two? Two? What in the world? In the world is a record at two? But it was. He won the belt. He successfully defended it twice. It had never been done within the, the heavyweight division before. People were talking about Stipe in front of Fedor Emelianenko because of this sole record. So that's just when it stood out for me. So I remember Stan going, boy, a lot of these champions don't win. So I started looking at Stipe. Why does Stipe keep winning? Why does Stipe have the record? I have deduced it on my own down to that damn fire department. I truly believe that. Stipe is not out living the life. He's not out traveling and doing the media. He's not getting distracted and pulled in different directions. He's grounded. He's got a schedule. He's got to be here. Well, if he has to be here at the fire department, and he is, that means he can get to the gym. That means he's got the same coaches. That means he's got the same schedule. That means he's got the same workout partners. If you want the same results, you got to do the same thing. It's one of those things, but I do contend that for Stipe, and I'm right to some degree. Of the pie, I, I just identified a piece of it. So I want to go back to Sterling. Because Sterling was so hungry, he did not know he was the champion. He did not look at that as he was defending anything. He was out there to win it.
And there's been some pushback on the performance, and it has surprised me. That fight was very clear 3-2. The two rounds that Jan won, regardless of what your lion eyes tell you, sternly let him win. I don't mean that from an anti-sportsmanship standpoint. I am not looking to take away from Jan. I thought Jan looked great. It was a matchup problem. It was a blueprint problem. It was get a takedown and get an Aljo on top problem. It was a round problem, right? It's a 10-9 must system. Aljo banks the first three, and he's got to be pretty damn sure that now he actually talked, because that's a risky game. I'm going to go and give two rounds away. That's a risk. Ooh, you just put the deck against yourself. It ended up working out just fine. But Aljo spoke on why he was so sure he was ahead. And as a matter of fact, he not only believed he was ahead those three rounds going into four and five, he thought he had two 10-8 rounds. Now that's an extreme, like Aljo needs to learn something from this. Do not do that kind of math again. Because Aljo was wrong. That is not what the judges saw. One judge didn't even see the first three rounds. I mean, this was a slippery slope. Very slippery. But set that aside, I've been stunned that people are pushing back and don't think he won the fight. That's just not what I saw. I saw it exactly the way Aljo did. I didn't see the 10-8 business. The control was there for a 10-8, but not the damage. So I'm out on lunch on that one. But the first three versus the last two. Now, a number of people have weighed in on this. And when you come down to judging, none of us fully know what that means. We don't fully know. We're given a very broad overview at the start of absolutely every event about the octagon control, about the damage. We hear these kinds of things, but each jurisdiction that you go in has its new uh, nuances that we just don't know. I'm not sure that we need to. I think the broad stroke is the most appropriate way to do it. First thing we're going to look for is damage. Then you get that, right? You start bringing yourself backwards. Okay. Judging specifically, is not overly subjective. However, it does have elements that are subjected. Here's an example. There are judges that have tried to do this from the beginning of time, which is get all the judges together and run a course. Here's what you were to look for. Here's what you're going to see. That makes a lot of sense. I don't think any of us push back on that until you think about it. We don't want one size fits all. If we want it, there's one way to judge and there's one way to see this. We would just have one judge. What's, what, what would the point of being three? And I will tell you, the point is to offer something different than the guy next to you did. If you are offering the same thing and all of the scores are the same, it would come back to the what I just Why wouldn't we just have one? And why does he even need to be there? Why can't he watch it via satellite from an office somewhere? Right? I mean, it starts to get to be one of these things. You have three judges to break a tiebreaker. You have it so that you have a conclusion. You have a 10-9 must system. You have what the judges are supposed to look for, but then they intrinsically, I've heard a lot of people say, judges should have to have been fighters. I've heard them say this about referees. Referees should have had to have been fighters. I don't agree. I just don't agree. I don't think that applies to the commission, to the fight doc, to absolutely anybody. I like a specialist. I don't want to see the fight doc jumping in the chair and judging fights every now and then. I can't imagine anybody knows more about fights than the fight doctor. I can't imagine anybody would be in a a better position to assess damage than an actual doctor, but he's got a job. He's over here. Judges are to offer what it is they see and by their interpretation of the rules, including the nuances, not just the ABC, the nuances within each jurisdiction. That's their job, and I don't think it should be one size fits all. 
And I share with you that I thought Aljo was very dominant. I thought that it was a glorious victory. I thought that it was very dangerous that he gave rounds away. However, I couldn't imagine being in his spot and letting Peter Jan have anything. Aljo was letting him have the back and just holding on to a wrist and protecting everything. Aljo wasn't open for a submission. He wasn't getting pounded with the free hand. He had a lot of control of the rounds that he flicked. I agree with that. I just think that some of you that are pushing back on Aljo are only remembering the last two rounds, which is very common. There was an organization called Pride where if you won the last parts of the fight, you could win the entire fight. It was just looked at very differently. In a 10-9 must system, you got three to two. It's basic math as I see it. And I have been surprised on some of the pushback. And look, to get Jan back in there with Aljo, I think is very unlikely. I think the number one thing 135 pounds is looking for right now is parity. You're only going to ignore Sugar Sean and his beautiful record for so long. I think the immersion of Henry Cejudo coming back, I think, hey, where the hell is TJ Dillashaw and how's he feeling, has never been more paramount because I think they're looking for somebody fresh at 135. That's the argument I'm making. You're not going to ignore the Rob Fonts and the Ricky Simones forever, but for today, I also don't think you're going to draw them into a title fight. Landscape changes quickly. I bring that to you because the idea of Jan versus Sterling, which I very light on, apparent, maybe that's not the most ridiculous idea. All we need is a presidence, which in all fairness, Max Holloway did start. Max Holloway will be the only guy to get a trilogy fight, a true third fight that did not split the outcome of the first two. But I don't know that I think that's wrong. You got Robert Whitaker as clearly the number one contender at 185 pounds, but he's not going to be fighting for the belt, right? Colby Covington is clearly the number one contender at 170 pounds, but he's not going to go and fight for the belt. Well, for how long? Eventually, we are going to have to tear this rule up that we've made anyway. And if people think that Jan won this fight and one judge did, and it was a closer fight than what I saw, you see where that dialogue needs to start opening up. You see where that dialogue might need to change. You see where it appears that Sterling and Jan are not done with each other. Now, Sterling's not done with Jan because you guys aren't letting him. All you got to do is tell him, good job, congratulations, champ, the end. But for some reason, people don't want to do that. And I will tell you, if that same fight happened, but rounds four and five were rounds one and two, and then rounds one, two, and three happened, but they were rounds three, four, and five. So the last thing that you saw was Sterling in those dominant positions, pounding this guy out for 15 minutes on the back end. We're not having this conversation. It's just a memory issue. It's just the way that you're viewing it. It's one of the reasons I don't like the idea of one judge. I don't like the idea of five judges. I don't like the concept that a judge had to have been a fighter before. A judge is, a, there's some subjectiveness and it's very limited. But if you have three judges so they can all offer something different, it's very helpful. I think you should keep that on mind. I think you should be a little bit nicer to Aljo. I think we, we should respect what happened here. And I also think that I'm right. I think it was just the order of the rounds. And if one through three ended up being the last three rounds, I don't think we're having this conversation. So Volkanovski put the Korean zombie through hell on Saturday night. And it has me wondering who Volk should be lined up with to fight next when he defends the belt. I heard a very wise question. It was yesterday and I was watching, the guy was brilliant. Oh, he was charming and handsome. Name was Chael. And Charming Chael asked a question, should Volkanovsky call out Henry Cejudo? Now that Henry is back on the table, is that something that could serve Volk? Is it the wisest move for Volk? I've had a day to reflect on it. No, I meant no. I meant no. 
I do worry about Volkanovsky from a marketing standpoint. I do think there's some big misses there. I don't think he wants to be making these mistakes. I think he wants to stay the main event. I think. But either way, at some point, Volk has done his job. In all fairness, at some point, Volkanovsky, who came down from 211 pounds to 145 pounds and has become the most dominant featherweight ever. They asked Volkanovsky about this, by the way. Guy said, hey, are you the greatest featherweight of all time? He said, no, I will be. I need two more. He's wrong. It's not his choice. You hear athletes all the time come out and say, I'm the greatest. of." We'll decide if you're the greatest, and we have not decided that you are. But you'll hear them continue to say it. But the same thing, right, that coin is two sides. Which when you have a guy like Volk that says no, the answer is yes. Adesanya came out and said he's the greatest ever. But it's guys like Adesanya that are going to make that decision, not Volk. I'm just sharing with you, Volk is the greatest 45-pounder ever. I don't need to hear about resumes. I don't need to hear how many years he had or how many times he defended. I don't need to hear about finishes and knockouts and submissions. I don't need any of that. Real simple. Have I ever seen a 45-pounder in the history of my life that can beat Volkanovski? No. Okay, then Volkanovski's the guy. That's the math here. It's not defenses, just so you understand. You hear people try to argue resumes all the time. It's not. One guy could be the best in shorter windows. See it all the time. Kale Sanderson won the Olympic Games, retired from the sport, never went back. I mean, just by example. Other guys won it two times. Other guys have three medals. Kale is recognized for what he, right? I mean, it's one of those things. I don't need to see it anymore. I've seen enough. That guy could not lose and could not not beat any other guy. He's, right, it's one of those things. Okay. Volkanovsky, and when I tell you that he's done enough, he has done enough. At some point, it's up to the passengers. If you want on that seat next to him, if you want to do big business, if you want to get main events, that's up to you. You got to figure that out. Volk does not need to lower himself. Volk does not need to start calling guys out. Volk does not need to do any kind of publicity stunt. He has done his part, and he gave everybody a chance to beat him. Everybody. He gave some guys multiple chances to beat He's done his part. I know the question was my own question, but I needed a moment to reflect on it. And no, everything's fine. There is mistakes that Volk makes. There's landmines that he steps on. Changing his appearance training at one gym, representing, it gets a little bit hard. That's on us, guys. We're going to have to figure this out. We cannot demand more of a guy than what he's given us, which is better performance after better performance against better performance. We just can't do it. Now, he came out with Ariel. This was one of the more interesting segments in the history of Ariel's illustrious career. It was a cooking segment. Do you know what I'm talking about? They go, they're on Ariel's set. This whole thing staged, the whole thing's set up. I've never seen Ariel do this before. If he's done it, I've missed it. If he's going to continue to do this, I encourage him to. Volkanovsky comes onto the set of the MMA hour with Ariel Hawani. They got a kitchen set up. Volkanovsky's got the apron. He's got the chef's hat on. He's going to show you how to make breaded chicken. I call that chicken Parmesan. He called it breaded chicken. Why they were doing this, I had the foggiest idea. So Volkanovsky put it out a cookbook. Is this, hey, Volk, as soon as the weight cut is done, what is the number one meal that you haven't had? I, I don't know why they did this. I don't need to. I'm into it. And there is something compelling about a fighter having a meal. That will never go away. You guys have never watched, I'll tell you, one of the most effective shows ever, ever, for marketing of a fight is something called 24-7. 24-7, who is most known for following Floyd Mayweather and his opponent around, would never turn in a show without turning in a trip through the McDonald's drive through window as Floyd gets himself a Big Mac. 
It had nothing to do with the cholesterol or the McDonald's or potential sponsorship. It had nothing to do with it. There's something compelling about watching an athlete eat. I don't know why. I can't, I can't tell you more than that. Dana White has now tested this out where he's doing it on, on, on every effing Friday. One of the most successful things that Dana's ever done, he makes a meal, he takes a bite, and he's out. He doesn't even advertise anything. He doesn't do that on the back end go, watch the UFC this week. He does not. He's doing this little cooking show. It's interesting. Patty Pimblett did this one week ago. Patty fought at 155 pounds. See, 45 pounds, 55 pounder. And then weighed 200 pounds 10 days later, but he showed us how we got there. And I mean, he was eating boxes of donuts and boxes of cookies. He was eating entire pizzas. He's eating fish and chips and sodas. He's eating ice cream. It was interesting. I don't make the rules. There's something very, and I can't say that about all cooking shows. I don't go watch Rachel Ray, just by example. I don't watch Bourdain sh- that often. And then you got one called Dumpters, Dine-Ins, and Drive, something along these lines. They do very well. I think that was Guy Fiar. They do very well. I'm not into them. I'm sharing an athlete specifically. Eating a meal is compelling. It is. And Volkanovsky going on Ariel's show and making breaded chicken has got to be a ret- I just need to know why. Perhaps it was in there. Perhaps I didn't watch long enough or set, set up before. I don't know why they were doing that. I want to know the why, and then I want that duplicated. I want other athletes coming on teaching us how to cook something, which, by the way, I know how to bre- make breaded chicken. I learned two things. Two secrets, if you will, from watching Volkanovsky. My wife and I are making it tonight. We're going to try Volkanovsky's version of this. I should probably film it. I should probably bring it to you guys, and you would find it enjoyable. I don't know why. I don't know what it is about a professional athlete that you think is fueled in a certain way, you think is living a certain lifestyle, and then maybe he is. Maybe he's eating a really healthy meal. Maybe he's making a family secret. Maybe he's going through the drive-thru like Floyd. I don't. But there's something there, and it's interesting. To close out today's show, I want to move away from the guys at UFC 273 so I can do a quick check-in on Conor McGregor and the latest speculation surrounding his return to the Octagon. Underground rumor that Conor McGregor is going to return in August and he's going to do it at 170 pounds. Am I a buyer or a seller? I'm in. I'm in. August does sound right. 170 pounds definitely sounds right. Who's it going to be against? Guys, I think it's going to be against the champion. Based on the evidence that we have right, because there's a lot of moving parts here. Why is Leon versus Kamara not booked? Is it because of Kamara's hand? Is that all it is and there's nothing to see here? I, I don't know about that. I don't know. I'm a bit of a conspiracy theorist on that. I think a little bit matters is what does McGregor do? And if you bring McGregor back and you're doing it at 170, what in the hell are you doing it for? Is that his new weight class? Fine. I'm in. If that's his new weight class, then whatever he does is get him one step closer to what he wants, which is a championship belt, which is Kamara Usman. Why not just do it now? Who are you going to put Connor with at 170? You're going to grab a top 10 guy if he's going with 70. Okay, tell me one top 10 guy at 170 that draws, that sells, that's interesting for you, that's the one that Connor needs. Tell me one guy that you think is viable and a big enough deal to get on the docket with Connor McGregor. You have a problem. There's one guy. His name's Kamara Usman. I've always been bullish on the idea that if, if that's what Connor wants, it can happen. He's got the audience that will back him. Dana has never said no about that. 
Kamar Usman has never taken that serious, but has said in the vein that it is, yes. Not to mention Leon versus Usman isn't booked, and as each day goes by, that gets a little bit weirder. It really does. That is the fight that we were told. That is the fight we were promised. That fight was rumored for International Fight Weekend. Both fighters have gone very quiet. Generally, when both fighters go very quiet, it's not because a fight is blowing up behind the scenes. It's because it's done. And they're waiting for the rollout and the announcement. Now, that is your most likely scenario. Right there. Leon's getting the shot. It is with Kamara. The hand's going to be fine. We're looking for a date. We've already agreed to it in principle, and now we're waiting to fill the audience in. Great. That is your, for sure your most likely but that would also be in the absence of having Conor McGregor returning at 170 and asking for the fight. There's no one else for Conor to fight at 170 that would make a level of sense. If you don't think it makes sense that Conor, who is a 55-pounder, moves up to 170 off two losses and gets a title fight, fine. It would still make more sense than moving Conor, your biggest draw, to 170 and putting him with a top 10 guy in the division to get him a step closer and maybe you go, well, Chael, no, 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 it's not about any of those things. It's about Connor getting his feet wet. It's about Connor getting back in there. It's about Connor getting active. This is what this represents. Okay, but there's only one way to do that, which is what has already been done, which is to grab a fellow 55-pounder and just let him have a 15-pound weight allowance. If we're having that conversation, okay, fine, but I will bring to you, that was under the most unique of circumstances. Cowboy Cerrone versus Connor at 170 on January 19th, was very unique circumstances in that T-Mobile Arena was not booked. There was not a UFC scheduled for January 19th. There was not a pay-per-view date in place. Connor came back, wanted the match, found himself an opponent, got everybody to agree on the weight class. They then booked the venue. And by the way, sold it out in less than 48 hours, all because of Connor McGregor. But I'm just bringing it to you. That's not the circumstance right now. This is not a, hey, let's hurry up and get this done. This is not, hey, we're in a rush. Hey, something just fell in our lap. I've heard Dana use that expression before. He, who did Dana put on the Ultimate Fighter? It was BJ Penn. Dana had other plans for the Ultimate Fighter. Out of nowhere, BJ calls him and says, I want to do it opposite Frank and I want to fight him again. And Dana literally said that. He goes, look, that wasn't my plan. It fell in my lap. I can't turn this down. Great. That's also what happened on January 19th when you saw Cowboy... Take it on Connor. And the only way Connor's going to fight at 170 in a match that is not a title fight is if you bring up another 55 pounder and you attempt to duplicate it, which, in all fairness, none of us will complain. The rules are different. There is something very special when Connor comes to town. The fact that you could book a venue that you weren't planning on playing two weeks after a pay per view that you advertised to the world, oh, and by the way, do great numbers, shows that different treatment is warranted. I just don't think we have that right now. I don't. I like the August date. I don't have a problem with it. What is Kamara doing in August? I like the idea that Connor's going to go 170. I don't think he's a 55-pounder anymore. I saw the same pictures that you did where he weighs 190-plus pounds. What's Kamara doing in August? 170 pounds is red hot right now. We've got a fight that just happened between Chemayev and Burns. we got a fight that's about to happen between Blahal and Vincent Luque, neither has been named a one contender, number one contender's fight in August. What is Kamara doing? What's the delay in announcing it? It's going to be Kamara versus Burns. Is it going to be this summer? We get told that all the time. Is it going to be later in the fall? Are we going to wait until winter of 2022? Are we going to let that hand heal? Why does Kamara not have a fight? Why is that date not booked? 
It's a fair question. And you wouldn't have the answers either. We're all just detectives. We're all just accountants. We're as good as the information that we're given. If you go and form a decision on information that you did not previously have, you have the right to now make a new decision. I'm light on that. I do think it's Kamara and it's Leon. And I think I'm a lot closer to the truth by saying that this is already done and the announcement hasn't come out. That's what a smart guy would say. That's what I would say. But there's a conversation and I don't want to be late to it. There's a conversation previously to the underground picking up a runer that Kamara's coming back specifically in office and specifically at 170 pounds, which many of us have believed anyway. August, Connor, 170. I'll ask you one more time. What's Kamar Usman doing? All right, guys, that's it for today's program. If you enjoyed it, please go to Apple Podcasts, search for your welcome, and leave us a review. Like our friend Mike, who says, the absolute best of all time. Well, thank you, Mike. And thanks to all of you for listening. Enjoy the UFC and Bellator this weekend, and I'll be back next Wednesday to talk about it all. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.